Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, Savage Approach to Personal Finance. This is George Grumbacher and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Steve Blue. Steve, are you ready to do this? George, I am always ready to do this. Excellent. Let's do this. Steve is the CEO of Miller Ingenuity, and he's the author of the new book, Metamorphosis. He's a regular contributor to Fortune and Entrepreneur as well. I'm excited to have you on. Steve, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Well, I've been in senior leadership positions in the very small and very large Fortune 500 companies for the last, I hate to say it, for 40 years now. And I, you know, I'm one of these guys that I've done it all and I've seen it all and I've seen every organization, every type of issue, every type of problem, every type of opportunity. So, you know, I don't these days, George, I don't run into something I haven't already seen or I haven't already fixed. <laughs> and in fact, in the last 20 years, I've been a CEO. So I, I've sort of been around um, and I and I started writing books. Uh, this is my fifth about 10 or 12 years ago, and it started as a labor of love. I just felt like I ought to write about kind of what I know. And so I did that, and basically all these books have been uh, prescriptions and analysis of what goes wrong in organizations and how to fix them. Uh, my fourth book uh, was a bestseller on Amazon, and the third day I co-wrote it with uh, Jack Canfield. And that's nice. called uh, Mastering the Art of Success. Uh, and that chapter that I contributed to that uh, co-writing effort was uh, completely on innovation, how a company who is not innovative can become so. And then the uh, fifth book, Metamorphosis, pretty much the whole entire book is devoted to, if you're a Rust Belt company, how can you uh, become more innovative? And and I, and I know because I've done it. And that's sort of my, uh, my background. Excellent. So five books in. What what was the motivation? Is it I, I think that you you reference a prescription? Is it giving people a practical user manual, so to speak, for helping to solve common problems that you've seen, or what was what was the desired end result of of, of writing? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I always want to give uh, actionable advice because there's too, too many books out there that pontificate about uh, things but never give you a, an answer to fix anything. And so I've always put in uh, actionable advice. And uh, as my book writing has evolved over the last five books, my my writing is about not ordinary problems because, you know, anybody can figure out how to fix ordinary problems. My books tend to focus on, particularly in the last uh, two, on extraordinary problems that most people just can't Google or uh, ask their next door neighbor or go to a Vistage International group or, a you know, a uh, kitchen uh, board cabinet uh, meeting and, and get fixed. So mine tend to focus on the really tough stuff. And certainly my uh, last book is on an exceedingly tough problem or if you're, if you're going to go out of business because you're a Rust Belt company and you're getting the stuffing kicked out of you by the Chinese or by low-cost competitors or by whatever it is, um, that, my, that book tackles the extraordinarily difficult problem of of taking a Rust Belt company with little to no technology and turning it into a high technology company, which most people have never done. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that would be an easy thing to do. So it's not. Just for uh, some level setting, can you tell me what a Rust Belt company is? Yeah, anybody that's uh, my definition of that is anybody that uh, is in basic, you know, metal, plastic, uh, what I'll call dumb 
products that that have no technology or, or intelligence in them. So, you know, all, all the guys who make uh, all the plastic injection molding guys, all the metal stamping guys, all the uh, guys that make uh, the cars, except for the uh, electronics inside the car, that usually not made by the same guys anyway. And so it's basically low technology companies that form the basis of, of this uh, great economy that, uh, and country we live in for many, 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 many years. But everything now is, as you know is either service or, or a higher order intellect or artificial intelligence or something a lot more uh, sophisticated than b- kind of basic industry stuff. Got it. And I know that uh, you referenced you've had a ton of six or a ton of experience and a ton of success working in these industries, working with a lot of these companies, and you've been able to uh, help a lot of different organizations enjoy some pretty, pretty solid growth which is what gave you the, uh, the, the confidence and now the knowledge to be able to, to actually write this book and, and, and to give these, these actionable prescriptions. Would, would uh, you share with us just um, perhaps your favorite example of being in the leadership chair and making important changes and how that worked out? Yeah, uh, what I'd say about that, George, is uh, when you're in a leadership position um, and you're and you're in transition, you're you're transforming the organization. And, and if you're in a leadership position and you're not transforming your organization, by the way, you, you're getting ready to go out of out of business. And that that would be my uh, short perspective on it. If you sit there as some CEOs do and hope to get to retirement and and think things are kind of kind of be okay, you're you're cruising for disaster. So the first point I'd make is uh, anybody in leadership position ought to be transforming the organization for whatever it is now to whatever it needs to be uh, to uh, for the future state. And that's true whether you're a low-tech company or a high-tech company or, or any other kind. The other thing I would say is uh, when you're transforming an organization as, as a leader, you're going to make a, a, a couple of really big decisions, but you're going to make a million little ones. And those middle little million ones are probably more important than the few big decisions that you're going to make. And so you have to pay attention to the little decisions. I'll give you a case in point. If you're going to launch a new expensive product development effort, the CEO uh, ought to be the guy uh, who's going to make the final decision as to whether that is going to occur or not, because, you know, these are typically very, very, very expensive initiatives. Okay, great. That's fine. So you launch the product, you authorize the the funding and, and so forth. And now you have to stay very close to the action for a long, long time to be certain that it doesn't go off the rails, so to speak, because even in the best organizations with the best intentions of people, these things go off the rails because, well, there's a million reasons uh, why they go off the rails. So the CEO has to stay involved and make a million little decisions all along the way. And you can't know what those decisions are, George. If you're not in on the action, yeah, well, I, I don't doubt that for a second. I had a a gentleman named Dave Petnayak on on the show several months back, and he talked about how you're either innovating or you are dying. So I appreciate yep. the need to be transforming all the time, especially in today's world. So, um, and I'm a person that appreciates processes, and I think that you've got a, a, a solid process that is in the book about transforming, igniting, and disrupting. So I'd like to hear about that. 
Yeah, they, they, here's the bad news for any CEOs listening now. The first part of the, the prescription, or if you will, of uh, uh, getting from a Rust Belt to a high-technology company, uh, it doesn't have to be a Rust Belt company, by the way. Look at uh, what's happened uh, just recently to uh, Sears. Uh, they didn't innovate, and they didn't change, and then, and then they got sw- swooped in by a corporate raider who loaded them up with debt and you know the same formula and then, then dumped them. So the, this could this formula could be applied to almost any kind of an organization, but the bad news is uh, the first part of the formula, the transform, ignite, and disrupt, is uh, transforming the organization. And the bad news for a lot of CEOs is, I'm sorry, boys, this is culture. This is mostly culture right. that you have to first assess and understand what kind of culture you have, and then. You uh, once you know that, then you can transform it to what it needs to be. Uh, and the other thing uh, the, about that, George, that CEOs don't really like to hear is it's a five to seven year effort. Uh, and when I tell them you need to work on your culture for five to seven years before you can even go to the next step in the process in uh, uh, disrupting and uh, and uh, innovating, you got to do that first. And they are, oh man, they look at me with glassy eyes and they go, oh, God, you, oh this is the free. Pizza, uh, pizza and beer for lunch crowd, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, that's what they think. And I say, no, no, it's not. I mean, you know, uh, and the health, health and happiness people will say, you know, yeah, you got to have free pizza and, and a billiard table because, you know, we really want people to be happy. But right. the point is we don't want them to be happy. We want them to be functional. And the uh, example I always use, Georgia, is uh, I'll bet you have seen a Cirque du Soleil performance. Sure. Now, when I talk to CEOs, they say the model, the end game model you want in mind, there's a lot of moving parts to this, but the model in your head ought to be you want an organization that's just like Cirque du Soleil. And Cirque du Soleil uh, uh, are, are people who come to work every in, in short, simply, they come to work every day, all jazzed up to do better than they did yesterday. And then nice. see, then they, then they look at me and they go, yeah, but we're not performers. I said, but but as I generically describe the kind of an organization Cirque du Soleil is, isn't that what you would want for your your company? And you know, as an example, I say uh, Cirque du Soleil performers on a Monday don't decide they're not going to communicate their intentions to the guy that's going to catch him because you know he's jealous or because you know he, he doesn't like him or whatever, and they they don't come to work and decide to you know have silos between them that are impenetrable and that are across uh, odds like you find in most organizations. So the uh, model that I tell CEOs start off with is a Cirque du Soleil organization. And, uh, and once you get that, uh, you'd be amazed what, uh, what people can do. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. I think that that's a, a great, a great example and a great way to think and, and, and to look at it. And do you think that a lot of CEOs have a hard time with that whole idea of improving culture because it is sort of so abstract you can't oh, really yeah. measure it or oh yeah oh yeah the older they are the, the harder it is for them to do it because you know older ceos and i can speak about this because i'm 67 years old and i've been a ceo for a long time older ceos tend to say look at look at kid when i was growing up and i came to work i'd walk in i would do what i was told i'd walk out and that's what people ought to be doing i didn't need any of this culture stuff i just you know did what i was told and, right. I was and that's why a lot of the older ceos who, who tend to run a lot of the bigger corporations that's why they have a tough time with millennials they 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 talk to me about millennials george and they say i cannot figure out these damn millennials you know there's something wrong with them because they they want they want a life 
I mean, they want a, their own life and they don't want the life to be, you know, uh, wrapped up in the corporations. And I tell them, I say, you know, you have to find a way to uh, accommodate this whole class of, of employees and uh, give them a meaningful and a rich uh, experience. And, of course, uh, one that uh, is productive uh, for the company. And you, and you have to kind of do both. Nice. But that's it. They don't like culture. They can't. They can't wrap their minds around it. And CEOs, you know, I'm. I'm. You know, uh, the same way. I like to get things done right now. You know, give me facts. Give me figures. Give me data. Let's get the damn thing done. But uh, over the years, I've learned that uh, if you don't get the culture part right, nothing else is going to matter. No, I certainly agree and appreciate that. So let's assume that an organization is they 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 have the the time horizon to be able to invest three, five, seven years into this effort. When does the ignite the second process or the second part of this process come in? It's somewhere in, in the now. It could be third year into the culture uh, shift. It could be the fifth year. It could be this probably not less than the second year because you have to make sure. Um, and I remember who wrote the book on. Uh, I think it was uh, built to last. Uh, uh, the notion of getting the right people on the bus, and the whole culture thing is you know you have to set. The, the parameters, you have to set the organization policies, expectations, norms, and so forth for certain kinds of behavior. And then once you've done that, you're going to find you got a lot of people that don't want to be that or can't be that. So that and you have right. to start swapping them out. And in the meantime, you got to run the business and you got to, you know, uh, make production and, and sales and so forth. So however long that time takes is, is how long it takes. It might be two or three or, or five years. You don't want to start into the igniting innovation effort until you've got that uh, uh, culture and that group of people in place. So when you do, because otherwise you're going to waste a lot of money, you're going to say you're going to say to people who really don't give a hoot about innovating. Now I want you to innovate. So you need to make sure you got people who want to innovate before you start the innovation process. And then what you do, George, is you set a baseline. You, you find out how innovative or creative the organization is today. And, and most people will tell you, now I'm not talking about, you know, Apple. I'm not talking about Microsoft. I'm not talking about, you know, the most innovative companies in the world. They, they, they're not in this class of, of problem. I'm talking about generally, excuse me, manufacturers. First step is find out how innovative your organization is now. You might get surprised. And the way to do that is by uh, having a professional do, it, do a survey. And uh, you'd be surprised sometimes how innovative your organization may be. So, so you shouldn't just automatically assume it's not. So now you got a baseline of uh, how creative your organization is. Now you know what, where, the, where the gaps are. To give you an example, I brought in a guy uh, to my company who used to be the uh, ex, uh, he was the chief creativity officer for the QVC network. And some people have never heard of, about the QVC network, but it's about, I don't know, maybe an $8 billion company now. Right. Very, very innovative and creative in things they do. When he joined them, they were, you know, 500 million or some darn thing. And he doesn't take credit for the, the growth from 500 million to 8 billion, but, but he certainly had a, a major role in it by implementing creativity and, and innovation in the organization. So I brought him in. And I had him. Uh, I had him do the survey and see where the gaps were. And then I had him train every single employee, every single employee in, in the place on the principles of creativity and innovation. Now you notice I didn't say every single white collar employee. Uh, I right. didn't say every single engineer. I said every single employee from the office uh, team to the uh, people in the factory. 
And then I had him ride shotgun with us for the better part of a year. And the way we started this is we said, okay, here's a, now that we've taught you the basics of creativity and, you know, brainstorming and all that kind of stuff, the fundamentals, here's a problem we want you to work on. Here's when we want you to work on it. And here are the tools and techniques we want you to use. And then so that's how it started. And then fast forward two years later, uh, and, and even now, our people decide what they're going to work on. They decide when they're going to work on it. And they have the freedom to do this, by the way, without any boss telling them what to do. They marshal their own tools, techniques, and resources, and then they implement their own solutions. And that's sort of like the end state. Once you get employees where they're churning out all kinds of innovation, innovative ideas, now you've, you've sparked creativity. Now you've sparked innovation. Then you need to be sure that you uh, follow through with it. Uh, and uh, just don't shelve ideas because ideas are easy to shelf. Right, right. Okay, nice. And then the final piece, the disruption. Oh, that's a piece I love, of course. I'm an old <laughs> marketing guy from way back, George. I love that part. So this is especially applicable to Rust Belt companies, but but it would be equally applicable to any stuck, died in the wool, stuck in the mud organization like Sears, as an example, uh, in Kmore. And, uh, and almost anybody in the retail space that isn't spelled with an A. <laughs> right. Uh, so what, what you do is uh, the Rust Belt companies and the old line, uh, oh, oh, stuck in the mud, do things the way we, we always have organizations. They go to market the same way uh, as each other. Every competitor in the uh, retail space goes to market the same way. Every competitor in the manufacturing space, they go to market the same way. And, and how do they do that? Well, they go to trade shows. Okay, uh, they uh, put uh, do four color, full page four color ads and trade publications that don't say a damn thing, don't mean a damn thing, but that's what they do. And so, if you want to, as you're repositioning your company to be high tech, you need to look like you're high tech, and you need to start disrupting the marketplace with new cool, for your space, new cool uh, marketing techniques. One example is uh, uh, that, that's uh, very well known by most people is social media. Okay, uh, but you look at Rust Belt, old line manufacturing companies, they're not using social media much. You know, they, they might have a website that their brother-in-law maintains, but they're not, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> excuse me. But in my case, my social media people are putting out something about our products to targeted audiences uh, and measuring response rates multiple times a day, not multiple times a week or, or, or a month. It's like six or eight times a day. And, and but most old line companies won't do that. They'll they'll throw an ad in and wonder how it performed or even if it did perform. They'll go to trade shows and what happens at trade shows and rust built manufacturers is you can't find you could shoot a customer through the uh, trade show hall and you wouldn't you shoot shoot a cannon you wouldn't hit, hit a customer because it's mostly competitors. Right. So you got to upend that whole process. What we do is we uh, we lure them into the booth make our pitch to them, uh, usually with uh, uh, an iPad where they can see our, our products in action uh, from a visual point of view. And then we uh, then we videotape them on their way out and get uh, the reactions to what they just saw. And of course, if they didn't like what they saw, we throw it away, <laughs> throw it away. But most times they like it. So we use that in uh, continuing marketing materials. So the point is you have to have what I call surprising and astonishing uh, positioning and uh, marketing communications uh, to disrupt the marketplace because the marketplace likes to stay asleep. 
most marketplaces, not all of them, but certainly Rust Belt and, and uh, manufacturing marketplace, they don't want to see anything different. They, they, they just like to stay asleep. And there's so much noise out there, George, uh, that you're competing for attention with it. If you don't do something really astonishing, no one's even going to notice that you did, did anything at all. Right. Nice. I like it. That is a good process right there. That's fun, too. It's, I just love that. Excellent. Well, Steve, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? One, one thing. Uh, when you come to work every day, every day, uh, uh, when you start feeling like everything is completely under control, yeah, man, I got this, you know, I just, you know, it's on autopilot, then, then you're in trouble. Because I, I can assure you that every time I've had those thoughts, uh, I, all of a sudden I realized there was something wrong and it just slapped me right in, uh, right in the face. So now when I start to feel like that, I start hunting for what's wrong. And that would be my advice. Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets a come on. Come on. And Steve, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can, Hi, Savage, where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Uh, best place would be StephenLBlue.com. That's the S-T-E-V-E-N-L-B-L-U-E.com. And can they get your book on there too? or? Oh, yeah, they can get everything on there. Excellent. <laughs> well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Steve your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to stephenlblue.com, get a copy of his new book, Metamorphosis. Thank you again, Steve. Thank you, George. Keep up the good work. Yes, sir. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!